We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, Smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands, hands, hands. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, what is going on? It is your boy Mike Focci here bringing you another episode of Setting the Pace. No Alex Golden today. He's got something going on. I don't know what could be more important than Pacer basketball. No, I'm just kidding. Unfortunately, there is a lot, and... Uh, Man, uh, last night was a tough one. Guys, I thought it was comical that the Pacers were favored by two and a half against Milwaukee because they were without Giannis and Middleton. But it goes further than that. The Bucs were without seven players last night. It was 87-87 going into the fourth quarter. And the final score is 114-99. and Milwaukee beats the Pacers. Uh, behind a 21 to nothing fourth quarter run. It was truly sickening. It was a game that, like, it was, this was, no matter how you want to look at it, this was Milwaukee's B squad taking it to the Pacers in the fourth quarter. Pacers came out absolutely flat in the fourth. They were outscored 27 to 12 in the fourth quarter. So we've seen it before. I mean, just a, a lackluster performance, something where it's like, if you can't beat the Bucs without Giannis and Middleton, you stand no chance beating them, period. So this is a game where I'm not going to highlight specific individual performances because it doesn't matter. Like five of the starters were in double figures. Great. But the matter of the fact is that the Pacers should have won this game. It would have been a game that, you know, 
you don't want to say gets them back on track, but you you blew the game against Golden State. Now you blew this game against Milwaukee. All of a sudden, it's just like, man, this team, we knew it. They can't put anyone away. But it, it's deeper than that because the reports coming out right now, combined with the losses, it's getting super alarming right now. The Pacers are making the news what feels like every day for all of the wrong reasons. And the latest reason following this loss was Matt Moore, someone who's actually been on our show before, came out a report that Sabonis wants out. Well, I have not heard anyone else confirm or really deny this specific report. However, what we do know is that Kevin O'Connor reported that Sabonis was unhappy, potentially wanted out, and that was shot down. Scott Agnes turned it down. Sabonis turned it down. Sabonis just less than a week ago set a press conference basically saying he's loyal to the franchise. He's not going to come out with new comments every single day, debunking every single rumor. doesn't have the time for it. Look, is he thrilled to be a Pacer at this time? No. But I don't think anyone is, except for maybe Malcolm Brogdon, who's paid for the next few years, cannot be traded this year. Man, it would be alarming if he was asking out at this point. But look, they're losing. They're being criticized often. It's not fun when that happens for anyone. So I do feel like, yeah, guys probably are unhappy in Indiana right now. But that's that's what happens when you start losing. Losing is not fun for anyone. So I don't want to dive too much into those rumors uh, because they are just rumors. And I don't think the end of hearing them is anywhere near. Uh, pretty much everybody I know was sending me that today, tagging me on it in Twitter, texting me on the side that. So we're just going to have to wait until we hear a little bit more before we buy into every single report that we hear. But Things are not going great right now uh, in Indiana. And, uh, you know, hey, while I would have loved to have had a deeper dive discussion with Alex on this, we will do that uh, later this week, probably for our Sunday episode. But touching on the Herb Simon comments, I mean, just when things were getting dark for everybody, I felt like the idea of a retool, not even a rebuild, was becoming very exciting for, for everyone, we were thinking, hey, change is on the way. You know, it, things could be different now. Maybe these losses aren't as bad if it leads to bringing us in someone young and talented or a draft pick. But you know what? Herb came out with some comments, and you don't hear from him often. So if he's going to come out and make some comments, unfortunately, you want to listen. Um, and Herb was basically saying he doesn't want to see a rebuild. He, you know, he claims the fans don't want to see it. I think he's incorrect there. Uh, why would we want to go through a rebuild when we can build on the go? Build on the go feels like the new tough out statement. And uh, we're not looking for a new statement here. We're looking for some actual change. He goes, quote, Donnie did it all the time. Larry did it. Kevin will do it. We can do it. Well, you know what? Donnie Walsh was here for a long time. The NBA was different during that time. Same thing with Larry. It's different. This is a star-driven league where guys are teaming up. You need multiple stars if you want to do anything. Uh, saying Kevin will do it makes me feel like Pritchard's job you know, might be safer than some people think. Not rooting for Pritchard to be on the outs, but I just want to see them you know, right the ship, get it right. Um, I do think that Herb Simon is drastically out of touch with uh, the fan base at this time, uh, basically saying, you know, fans don't want to pay to see that. Fans don't want to pay to see this team right now, let alone a rebuild. Um, so 
a few of the comments that he made that I just want to dissect, which was pretty alarming, are basically more just out of touch. When asked about being able to the, the ability to acquire top free agents, said, I don't believe in that premise. We've had people like David West who wanted to come here. Guys, he didn't name anyone else other than David West. It's been 10 years. David West signed, and I believe it was 2012. I mean, we're, we're heading into uh, 2022 right over here. David West was also coming off of a torn ACL. So we all, the fact that we could all pinpoint arguably the best signing in franchise history being David West. And I say signing, Malcolm Brogdon was a sign and trade. So a little bit different than, than outright signing, but David West being the best franchise, you know, free agent pickup. That's, that's sad. I love David West. It's nice enough to come on our show maybe about two years ago or so, a guy that actually changed that Pacers team, that locker room, that man was a leader. Uh, but that can't be it for, for, hey, we can't hang our hat on. We got David West to sign 10 years ago. Uh, that proves it. Now, and don't blame the, the climate, you know, the, the weather, paying less taxes. No, build something that people can get behind. We're seeing people sign in Milwaukee. We're, we saw people sign in Cleveland. I mean, there's there's small markets out there. I mean, sure, you need a star to attract those players. But, I mean, Chris Paul got traded to Phoenix. They started to win. He re-signed. Uh, Phoenix was someone that they had a tough time drawing players for a while. So I, I just feel like don't blame it on other things. If, if you win, players will eventually come. And you got to build something that players want to stay in. So, uh, you know, I don't want to just be ranting all, you know, solo about all the negativity over here. But the last thing I got to touch on uh, as it relates to the Herb Simon comments, calling this, I love our little team. It, I think might have been the worst thing that you could have done because whenever you put the term little in front of something, you're belittling it. I mean, I joke around with, with my fiance saying like, hey, would you mind if you watched your little cooking show uh, in the bedroom and I can put the game on out here? Like, it's a joke because it's like, oh, you're basically saying like, that's not that important or that's not that big of a deal or this. I don't want to be a little team. I want the Pacers to be contenders just like you guys do. So saying I love our little team, it makes it seem like, oh, that's cute. Uh, a bunch of great guys. I mean, hey, what what good sports? You know, like, no, we want to be more than that. We want to be looked at seriously. And if our own owner can't look at us like that, Sounds terrible. And I get it. Yes, he's the owner of the team. But talking about our little team really does truly feel like property rather than like almost like family or like we, you know, I know he said our, but come on, just say something different than that. Maybe that's just him being 87 years old, but something's got to change. Basically, he mentioned that the Pacers will never tank. And I think we all knew that the Pacers are never going to throw in the towel. They're always going to try and win as many games as possible, but it gets to a point where you got to be able to make a move that's an actual serious move. And I'm not talking about packaging up Jeremy Lamb. Look, I've already said I'll pack his bags for him if I have to, but we need to do something above just tinkering over here. We need to make an actual change. So I don't know when that's going to happen. These comments coming out was, was, was pretty deflating because it made me feel like all of a sudden – Change isn't as close as we hoped. Uh, might not be rebuilding, might not be retooling, but uh, we are uh, building on the go or whatever 
whatever the new phrase is that we're all going to be saying. So uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not thrilled by that, but in other related news, one thing I wanted to touch on the team made a few different changes recently. Dejan Giroux, a guy who once again, I feel like a broken record was nice enough to come on the show um, and, and chat with us a bit. Um, and actually I apologize about that. That was Dwayne Washington. Kiefer Sykes that did. Dejan Giroux met him at the Pacers game, was nice enough to give setting the pace a shout-out. Uh, the Pacers waved Dejan, uh, and then they signed Terry Taylor to a two-way contract. Guys, if you haven't noticed, Terry has been tearing up the G League. He's been averaging 19.5 points per game to go along with 12.2 rebounds on 67% shooting. So this man has been crushing it down there. Lastly, Goga Bataze sent down to the G League, get some reps, and man, he responded. 38 points, 14 rebounds, uh, five assists. He had zero turnovers, uh, did it on 13 of 19 shooting as the Mad Ants won 131 to 127. Uh, actually, the team they were going up against, uh, the Rapids, had Lance Stevenson on the team who had a triple double, 18 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists, and Isaiah Thomas in his uh, G League debut. 42 points, one and done. The comeback tour is officially on its way. Lakers ended up signing him with a 10-day contract. So pretty cool stuff over there. Um, so, you know, fun to see Goga get some minutes and show that he is a really talented player that is too good for the G League. We have to find him minutes. But we will be right back. Uh, we have a fun show for you. We're going to be bringing on Derek Murray to talk about some fun uh, draft pr uh, prospects that are coming up. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, everybody, we are back and we are bringing on a special guest. We have Derek Murray, national analyst at Next Pro Hoops and NBA Draft scouting advisor for basketballnews.com. Derek, what's going on? Man, I appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, finally, probably, you know, 10, 12 games in, depending on the college season and schedule you're looking at. And we finally kind of have a grasp on some of these draft guys. So it's excited to, uh, to talk about it. Absolutely. So when we were talking offline, everybody, I mentioned I spent a lot of my time, you know, 
obviously watching Pacer games. I, I catch every single one of those that I, that I can, you know, I try and catch all of them, but also my free time, I'm watching West Virginia university. That's where I went to school, but we don't have the prospects that you want to hear about. So I wanted to bring on Derek who can tell you about all the top prospects that we should be looking out for, because guys, unfortunately, if you haven't noticed this season, isn't going the way that we hoped. And the Pacers right now currently have the ninth worst record in the league. So they would be slated to potentially pick in the top 10, something they have not done in quite some time. In 2010, they, they picked Paul George, but they have not had a single digit draft pick in 32 years. So Derek, I have you here to talk about some of the prospects that we should be really looking at closely. I guess we might as well start from the very best of the best. Who do you view as this year's number one overall pick? I'll be very surprised if Duke freshman Paolo Bencaro is not the number one pick this year at 6'10", 250. You can play inside, play outside. You know, the defense, it's fine, it's adequate, but offensively, he has everything you want. He's 6'10", and powerful, and has guard skills, and big-time shot maker as well. So Bencaro definitely stands out as the number one guy. Um, if I'm a betting man right now, he's going first. But the other two to not sleep on, Jabari Smith from Auburn and Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga uh, are both guys. Again, they're both about seven foot tall. Guard skills can move, can run, play defense. Uh, and they're both killers. They're, they're as competitive as they come. Uh, those three stand out alone at the top right now in, the, in kind of a tier of their own. So I have watched Paul. I, I have. I mean, he's, he's what, you know, ESPN and everyone's talking about right now. And obviously it's Duke. So, you know, they're going to get a ton of coverage. Chet Holmgren, I've been following him for a while, uh, probably more than, than Paolo. Uh, he was, you know, he's, he was that that top recruit. Uh, does his lankiness worry you at all? Seven-footer, but they're listing him at sub-200 pounds. I mean, when you look at Paolo and Chet, uh, Paolo's 6'10", 250. Chet is 7 feet, 195, a big difference. Does that worry you at all? It concerns me a little bit on the defensive end, uh, just with people being able to push him around a little bit because of his weight. You know, in high school, he's able to recover and still block every shot he wants to because of his length. You know, I think he's got a seven, you know, four, five, six wingspan, somewhere in that range. Um, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And he has showed against some competition this year that he is able to recover and use his length to contest. Um, but, you know, you think about, you know, anytime somebody's like, hey, you know, can he defend a four at the NBA level? I always, my mind just goes to the Morris twins and like those kind of guys with that skill level, that size, that strength. I mean, they're probably just eating Chet alive, at least in those first couple of years. And that, that is worrisome to me. That being said, when there's a unicorn available, you take him. And at seven foot with that length and the guard skills, the ball handling, the shooting, the creation, like I think at some point you just have to take him. Um, I think, I think three is at least today, the absolute floor for him. Um, but yeah, there, there are people around the league, um, us included that do worry at least a little bit about that physicality. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's, it's natural that, you know, your body's going to continue to grow. The, the three people that you name, they are all freshmen. I mean, uh, Chet is, you know, by tankathon, they list him at 19.6 years. So he will be 20 uh, basically by the time the NBA draft occurs. So it's not like he's going to be 18, but I mean, you would imagine he'll put on some size, but then again, I mean, look, Different positions completely, but for Kevin Durant, they had the same concerns. And Kevin Durant was completely fine and didn't really look like he put on much size uh, as his time went on. So uh, if you're a special talent, uh, it, it will work out. But Jabari Smith, I have not gotten to watch him as much as I would like to, but this is a guy that uh, is putting up some big numbers. I mean, expected to be in that top three, definitely in that top tier 
Uh, tell us a little bit about Jabari's game. Jabari is special in every sense of the word. I mean, he's got good handles, good feet, lateral quickness, mobility, runs the floor, can shoot, can dunk over anybody he wants to. He's a good defender. He's got long arms and is active, and he's 6'10", 220. You know, he is one of those kids where he's a freshman. But if you look at his body, you get up next to him, and you're like, whoa, this kid's like legitimately big. And he will be 19.1 years old on draft day, um, which is just absurd. I think he his ceiling, it might be kind of crazy to say his ceiling might be the highest out of him, Paulo, and Chet. Um, I mean, he's just special. If you guys haven't been able to see him, if any of the listeners haven't been able to see him, watch an Auburn game because um, he's probably about as high-level prospect as we get. Definitely like it. Plus, you got to love the attention to detail over here when Derek says 19.1. All right. That's you're not getting that type of detail everywhere. So I respect it. Um, what his age will be on draft day. But as we make our way a little bit down now, I expect that the Pacers look, they got enough bigs or at least I hope they do. But the way the draft's going, the, the Pacers feel like they can never get enough bigs. But I'm hoping they go in a different direction. And I think that they could be you know, looking at that point guard, you know, wing area, who is, is viewed as the top point guard in this draft? Because I'm going to be honest, it doesn't feel like there's a point guard slated to go in that top five or so. And, you know, depending on what list you're looking at, maybe not even a top 10. Is there someone that I'm missing over here that could creep into that top five to 10? So you are hitting it right on the head. Um, you know, every time we do a, a big board, which, Shameless plug, basketballnews.com. We updated our big board today, top 60. Um, at, at, right after those top three, we have Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, and Jaden Hardy at four, five, six. Again, Ivey and Hardy are not point guards. And if you look at where the Pacers, based on Tankathon right now and the records, they'd be picking eighth as of this moment. And that is right on the cusp of where you could start seeing some of these point guards uh, start going off the board. And there's three that have really set themselves apart as kind of their own class here. And it's Alabama's J.D. Davison, Tennessee's Kennedy Chandler, and Kentucky's Ty Ty Washington. And right now we have them at 9, 10, 11 um, in the order of Davison, Chandler, Washington. And, you know, I'll leave one game and I'll think Chandler's the best out of this group. I'll leave another and I'm thinking Ty is the best in this group. I'll leave another and I'm thinking, nope, it's Davison. Like, that discussion of point guards is something that every organization is going to have to look inside at their scouts and be like, hey, we need to actually decide which one we would take if these are on the board because that 8 through 12 range, like they're going to have that decision. And honestly, it is really, really hard. They're all freshmen. They're all good in their own right. They're very different players, uh, but they are all point guards. And that's where Ivy and Duran, they're more twos. Uh, these three guards at the top, like, it's very difficult to decide between them. Um, but over on our board, that's how we have them as of this afternoon. It's going to be very interesting to see, you know, who can raise their stock plenty of time in the season. So maybe, maybe someone does creep into that top five to 10 for sure. But a couple of names you mentioned, Jaden Ivey, uh, someone that probably our listeners might be very familiar with. He's playing at Purdue. Um, this is someone who is really getting his name out there. We've actually had some listeners write in to say, you know, what we think of his game. Um, this is someone, he's a sophomore right now, 6'4", 200 pounds, shooting guard out of Purdue. Uh, tell us a little bit about his game. Ivy is an absolute killer. Uh, 6'4", 195, shredded, like very, very strong, incredibly athletic. He's got a six foot nine wingspan, can jump out the gym. Uh, he's physically ready to be on NBA floor tomorrow. 
Um, not the greatest, uh, historically, not the greatest shooter. Uh, let me see what he's shooting this year. He has improved a lot as a shooter from deep, which is what's really making his um, his stock skyrocket. So 16 points a game, five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, um, and shooting just shy of 40% from three, where last year he was at 25%. Um, he can get past any defender he wants to, and he has a potential to be kind of an all-NBA defender when he's locked in. Um, again, the long arms, the physical toughness, the lateral quickness, he's just a killer. Competitive, vocal, everything you want. You know, I think at the beginning of the year, everybody kind of looked at him and thought maybe that 10 to 20 range. And now, I mean, we've got him at four as of today because everything about him is exactly what you would want on your team. Man, between you mentioning that he could be a potential all-NBA defender, him being the local product, you know, born and raised Indiana, playing at Purdue, I mean, that's that's enough to sell a lot of Pacer fans on, yeah, we got to find a way to get this kid. I mean, you talked about just, you know, how great of a year he's having, shooting over 50% from the field, nearly 40% from three. I mean, this this kid seems like he's got it. Uh, but another name, another Jaden, Jaden Hardy, playing in the G League. I honestly feel like the G League guys are not getting enough coverage as they should. We saw it last year with Jalen Green. So Jonathan Kuminga, these are guys that are end up being, you know, both of them were top seven picks, but a lot of people were like, I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen them play at all. You're not catching these G League games on TV. Tell us a little bit about Jaden Hardy, Hardy, who's expected to be in the top 10. Yeah, Hardy was a guy that coming into this year, everybody kind of thought the top three was Chet, Paolo, and Hardy. Because um, Hardy's scoring ability, he's just a microwave scorer. He has struggled in the G League uh, through nine games. He's playing a ton of minutes. So he's playing 33 minutes a game, but he's shooting 34.5% from the field and 30% from three. And it's, it's just worrisome. Um, there's a lot of concerns just regarding, you know, his ability, the, the feel on the floor, the game was looking really fast for him. Um, but that shooting, I think it's the real deal, 95% from the free throw line. I'm not worried about him being a high-level shooter and scorer at the NBA level. I believe it's just going to take him a little longer to get there than we may have expected. So it's one of those things where if you're a team that you, you, know, you need to win in the next, you know, immediate future, maybe you stay away from Marty. But if you're able to say, hey, look, we, we have the time to develop him. We have the time to kind of let him come into his own. Maybe learn the hard way, learn through some mistakes, then you still take this kid in the top five or six. And personally, right now, I wouldn't think twice about it. Um, there are a lot of people in the league that have him slipping. And by slipping, I mean maybe to like eight. <laughs> uh, yeah. People still definitely hold him in the highest regards. But he's just been really inefficient, um, fairly turnover prone at times as well. But it's stuff I think he can grow out of. Nothing red flag to me yet. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he gets into a groove. I mean, you know, making the change from, you know, high school to G League. I mean, that, that can't be easy at all. So I know people like to downplay the G League talent, but those are grown men. You know, they, they really are. Um one guy tearing it up right now, a name that I am familiar with, Keegan Murray. Uh, power forward, he's a sophomore at Iowa. Actually, they have him slated to the Pacers eighth overall in some mock drafts. I mean, when you mentioned some of the other power forwards in this class, between Paolo and Jabari Smith, I mean, there's a lot of talent there. So this guy currently on the season is averaging 22.2 points per game, eight rebounds, 55% uh, from the field. He's averaging over two blocks. Tell us a little bit about Keegan Murray. Yeah, Keegan, I think eight's a little high for him. It's definitely on the high range. Don't know if NBA teams have him that high right now. We have him at 13. Uh, but I tell you, he is an incredible player, and he's really well-rounded. 
six eight two twenty five six eleven arms um, can shoot can put it on the deck one of the best defenders in the class both on and off the ball just absolutely hunts to meet you at the rim uh, will contest you at anywhere on the floor the age is going to be something that I'm sure shies some teams away from him in the top 10 it'll be 21.8 on draft night which it's interesting some teams care a lot and they probably wouldn't touch him up there other teams they don't care um, if the productivity is there, the efficiency is there, they're going to take him. So Murray's one to watch if the shooting can stay where it is right now. You know, he's been shooting really well this year. Um, I think he's a lottery player. I don't know about top 10, but I think on the Pacers, he would be a tremendous fit. Hey, you know, when you mentioned the Pacers and age, uh, they just picked a, They picked Chris Duarte, who's 24, when he's making his NBA debut. So, you know, they're, they're not scared of that. So 21 years it's old. It's really interesting. It's interesting because Duarte, so me me and Matt last year, he was like far and away one of our favorite players in the whole class. I thought it was a steal that they got him where they did. And I don't I didn't care that he was 24. Like he's so good. Um, and Murray is kind of in that same mold. We're not, not that they're the same player, but they're aggressive and instinctual on both ends. And yes, they might be a little older than the other players in the class, but it shows in their maturity, their decision-making. The game is not too fast for them at all. They're intelligent on and off the ball. Like those two together uh, could actually be like really nice. Uh, well, you know, I think you made a great point there because the Pacers are trusting Duarte in game-winning situations right now, which I don't see any other rookies in the NBA being in that situation. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe Cade Cunningham could find himself in that situation because the Pistons are, you know, not a successful team this year. He has looked at to be the franchise, but no one expected Chris Duarte to be taking game-tying, game-winning shots, but he is truly mature for, for his age. I mean, 24 years old, whatever it is, being a rookie, he doesn't seem like a rookie. So, uh, I mean, night one, 27 points for the Pacers. I mean, he, he's been a blessing to watch. So, uh, one guy that I know my co-host who's not on right now, Alex, loves is Patrick Baldwin Jr. I mean, a lot of people didn't expect him to commit to Milwaukee, but I believe his dad's the coach over there. And, you know, your, your games are not going to be on TV as much, but this is a very highly touted prospect. Tell us a little bit about Patrick Baldwin Jr. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought him up because Baldwin is going to be the player in this year's class that the media and actual NBA scouts disagree on quite a bit. Um, the media is going to watch the film and they're going to go, oh, my goodness, he's 6'10". He can shoot like you have to take him. He's a top five player. I'll just tell you this, he is absolutely slipping in NBA front offices. Um, he's fairly soft, and we'll just kind of leave it there. That, that's Ooh, what a lot that says a lot. It's what a lot of people think of him. That's what a lot of front offices think of him. I talked to one the other day who said they wouldn't touch him until 20. Wow. Um, so the tape, it's going to be a real interesting discussion for teams of tape versus kind of the feeling you get about him in person. And that's where the in-person scouting really matters. The intel is really going to matter on Baldwin. So he is as talented as anybody in this class. He's 6'10", legitimately. He's big, broad shoulders, strong legs, probably the smoothest shot in the class. But it's it's you just have to decide, do you trust him to come and be the best player leading scorer on your team? And that's where the question marks are. So we currently have him at 12. Um, I think his range, I mean, man, the range I would honestly put from like five to 20. Like, I think it's really high because there will be some teams who 
they see the numbers, they see the um, potential, and they're just going to take him anyway, while others definitely have some concern. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Baldwin. It, it will be interesting. I mean, I know he's struggling from the field. That's very evident if you just take a quick look at his numbers. But also, um, I mean, there, there, there can't be that much talent around him, not to put down, you know, Milwaukee, but other guys, you know, are playing next to NBA-level talent. And I, I do not think that he is. So, you know, that, that's probably going to be pretty tough. But uh, who's maybe – give us a name that is someone to look for that could maybe improve their stock and maybe work their way up in the draft. I mean, last year I feel like Davion Mitchell was that guy who, you know, coming into the year really wasn't that high on many people's boards, has a, has a great year. Baylor has a great year. Next thing you know, he's being picked right in the top ten. So – uh, I thought that was a big surprise, um, you know, coming into that year. Uh, who's one of those players this year? Yeah, so I got a handful that come to mind. Uh, Usman Biang for the New Zealand Breakers is a guy that I think is kind of in the teens right now. Um, 6'9", basically a 6'9 point guard. And nothing gets me more excited than a 6'9 point guard. So yep. I, I think he has a chance to raise his stock. He's just not really producing at a high level right now. You know, single-digit points, single-digit assists. It's just... The volume's just not there, so I understand people's hesitation, but he has a chance. Um, I think Musa Diabate at Michigan, a lot of the NBA guys are really high on him, even though the productivity is not there. Um, they just have Dickinson, they're playing, I believe it's Theo John is the other big, if I remember correctly, and Diabate is just not getting a ton of minutes, but he's an NBA guy. Um, Johnny Davis has really taken off. We put him in our first round today. I've seen some people put him up in the top 10, which I think is – a little premature, but I think he's a first-round pick, 6'5", uh, positional size as a combo guard, to really put it on the deck and do what he wants with people. And then I was just at the Villanova-Baylor game, um, the butt-whooping down in Waco on Sunday, and Jeremy Sohan really impressed me. Uh, we put him at 31 in our board uh, this afternoon, the 6'9", the freshman, 6'9", 230, long arms, and, man, he can just defend the heck out of the ball. I think two through four. I think he can guard multiple positions, really athletic, can flash a little bit of shooting. And Sohan's a guy that I think if he keeps his name in, uh, will slowly climb. So those are the guys that, that come to mind off the top of my head. Well, I've got to do it for uh, for IU fans because I know we, a lot of our listeners are IU fans. But uh, Trace Jackson Davis, this is a guy who's put up some big numbers this year. I mean, depending on which boards you're looking, I mean, they don't have him high. I know he's a junior. It's not the sexy thing for the drafts, but where do you see him going? Do, do, is there any way for him to crack into the first round, or is it a, more of a guarantee that he's going to be in that 40s to 50s range? I don't know if it's a guarantee that he comes out. I don't know if he should come out. And I know that sounds like <laughs> I know that sounds really harsh for a guy that's incredibly productive at the college level. I mean, he went 19 and 9 last year didn't get enough good feedback to stay in the draft. He's at 19 and eight this year. What worries me is that he's basically an undersized center, six foot nine. He's not an elite explosive vertical athlete and he's never made a three. And that's what really concerns me is the lack of floor spacing. Like how many guys, I mean, look at like traditional centers who have got taken in the last couple of years in the second round. They're either seven foot, seven foot one, or they run like a deer or they can shoot a bunch of threes. And Trace, you know, he's, he's just not any of those things, even with his production. And it's just tricky. Like, it wouldn't shock me if a team took him in the mid to late second round. You just kind of have to really buy in 
that you can teach him how to shoot. Um, Cause it's, it's just tough to take a six, nine guy who only scores down there on the block. Yeah. I mean, the, the days of the traditional bigs, I mean, it, it'll work in college. It will. Um, but in the NBA, I mean, you got to add a lot to your game. I mean, we're starting to see even Dwight Howard add threes to his game at, you know, at this point in his career, he was drafted in 2004. So it's like, you got to evolve. It's, it's worked for a ton of other guys, Brooke Lopez adding threes to, I mean, it's really prolonged their career. So uh, for, for Trace, I mean, I feel like he's got to add a little bit more to his game. Otherwise, it's it's definitely going to be tough to get drafted at a good spot. But, I mean, make no mistake, if this guy comes back for his senior year, he will he will destroy opposing defenses. So, uh, you know, that'll be interesting in that. But I thought one thing to transition over to, uh, talking about some of the rookies producing this year in the NBA. We touched on Chris Duarte. I know you said you were high on him. Duarte falls to, maybe depending on who you talk to, goes to 13 to the Pacers. I was a little bit worried about his age. I'm, I'm not alone. A lot of people were. Found out age is simply just a number of Chris Duarte. This kid is special. Tell us a little bit about, you know, Duarte and and, and were you surprised at all? I mean, I know you said you liked him a lot, but this man, he, he can play. He can flat out play. I'm going to have to pull up. What, what number did they get him at last year? 13. 13. And okay. I heard Golden State wanted him bad. Yeah. So we got a call. We got a call maybe two weeks, week and a half out from the draft. Basically said, hey, Warriors, uh, Duarte at 14's done. They're like, it's done. So, you know, my the guys who who called me for Intel, they were like, hey, like, what do you think? I said, like, well, if you want him, like, I can't tell you where he's going to be. You're going to have to move up. And, um, Going to 13 was perfect. I thought it was a great fit. I thought it was the right call. I thought it was the right choice. Because um, Duarte and Brogdon together, to me, I just love. You know, Evan Mobley is a guy that internally, um, we had number one on our board internally. We thought he had the highest upside in the class. So Mobley playing well isn't shocking to me at all. Um, Barnes, you know, the Raptors took a ton of heat for taking Barnes at four. Uh, thought that was the right call as well. Um, and, and he's playing well lately. <sighs> You know, just looking at it, it's so interesting because around Duarte, it was so many young players in the draft. Like, it went Zaya Williams, Primo, Moody. Moses right Moody, now. one pick right afterwards. Yeah. State. We might not even really see him much this year. Um, and then you look at the role that Duarte has, where he's an every game starter for the Pacers right now. And, you know, I know they moved him to the bench at one point, but he their plans for him is big. I feel like the Warriors' plan right now is to win now. And for Moody, it's tough because he could have every talent in the world. Our co-host, uh, my co-host, uh, Alex, loved Moses Moody. I mean, was truly leading the Moses Moody train. I was on board. I mean, I think he's got a lot of talent, and he will show it. But he's younger. You know, it's going to take him some time. I mean, the age difference between Duarte and Moody, it's like six years. You know, it's, it's like legitimately five years. Well, it's crazy. Like, going into the draft, I definitely looked at, at the Pacers as a team who would take a guy to win now. Because it looked, at least from the outside, you guys obviously know way better than me about the Pacers in particular, but it looked like the Pacers could still be a playoff team. Absolutely. And I thought, okay, let's add a guy who right now um, can play ball. And that's where Duarte makes the most sense. So it's it sucks because now if you're looking at, do we have to rebuild? How is this going to look? Now you've drafted a 24-year-old. Um, but, it, it, you know, hindsight's always 20-20. At that time, I loved the pick. So in no way am I going to say, oh, you know, the Pacers should have done, you know, A, B, or C. I, I think looking back, it's still the right call. It's just tough the way this season has unfolded. It really is. I mean, just 
it, it's rough, but but the thing is, is like if it wasn't for Chris Duarte, I don't know what we would be doing right now because Pacers fans truly love Duarte. And then Isaiah Jackson. I mean, the Pacers make a move. They package four second round picks and Aaron Holiday to move up to 22. They take Isaiah Jackson. I mean, this is someone at Kentucky. Like, it seemed like he had a lot of talent of being able to block shots, but Isaiah Jackson, he's not getting a lot of minutes, but when he does, we're already falling in love with him. I really feel like this kid's going to be really good. Uh, it's just a matter of being able to carve out the right role for Isaiah. I mean, what did you think? 22 in the draft? Was it too high? Was it too low? What were your thoughts? No, I thought 22 was perfect. And I think we had him at like 20 or 21. So I thought the range was perfect. I think the value was perfect. Um, they did have to trade up to get him. He was not going to be there for the next three or four picks. Like he was coming off the board. So they mm -hmm. knew where they had to, you know, props to the front office of knowing where they had to go in order to get their guy. Um, so I do think it was the right pick. You know, he, he's definitely one where you probably think, oh, we're not getting great NBA minutes from him for a couple of years. But his upside is incredibly high. Great kid, great work ethic. He has the physical tools. Um, Love the pick. Yeah, we honestly got spoiled because it sounded like there was no plans for Isaiah Jackson this year. Thought he would just be in the G League. And then he looked really good in, in summer league preseason. Like really yeah. started to, be, to show some flashes. Uh, they sent him down to the G League. He was just blocking everything, grabbing rebounds left and right. So his G League stint was very short. They called him back up. Unfortunately, they're, you know, they're getting him like three minutes here and there, but it's already like it doesn't matter what he does this year. We're excited about Isaiah Jackson. But uh, for unrelated Pacer news, talk about maybe some of the biggest surprises this year uh, so far in the season for rookies. Anyone that maybe uh, you're like, you know what, I wasn't expecting this, but this, this kid's looking good. So we really liked Herb Jones coming into the draft. Um, Texas, right? Uh, from Alabama. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind. I'm thinking You're of Kai thinking Jones. Of yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah, Herb Jones, Alabama's playing for New Orleans. I thought the defense was good, size, athleticism. He had it. All-time great kid. Uh, great intel, work ethic, whole thing. I did not see him being this good this quickly. I definitely thought he would have impact and thought that the media was severely underrating him because his film wasn't sexy enough for them which again, this, that just bugs me in and of itself. But I just, I don't know. He's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, Alperin Shingun in Houston, we knew he was intelligent. We knew he could pass, but my goodness, there are some clips of him. I'm just like, how did this kid see that? Like how did, he's got eyes in the back of his head. So like, I've been impressed with him. Um, Bones Highland in Denver, no shock to me that he's killing it. Um, probably my favorite pre-draft interview I did last year going and watching his workouts in Atlanta. Just a pleasure to be around. Great kid, great teammate, and an absolutely fierce competitor. So those guys would say, like, I thought they would have good rookie years, but they're definitely outperforming what I expected. Yeah, I mean, whew, Bones, yeah, he started, it looked like that kid could flat out shoot. I mean, it, really, before the draft, it felt like he was elevating his stock uh, quite a bit. So um, you know, those are some of the guys that we talked about, the surprises. Now talk about maybe some of the disappointments this year of maybe, you know, whether it's – I know Cade got off to a brutal start, but he's turned it around lately. You know, Jalen Green, I, I know he's had some of his struggles, but is there someone that maybe you were just like, I honestly, I expected more than this? Um, man, I thought – 
it's like kind of fun actually looking at the list of rookies that have statistically been a little disappointing. Most of them I feel good about calling. <laughs> uh, I I did I definitely thought Book Knight was going to have a better season. Um, he struggled. He's starting to come on as of late, mm-hmm. which is, which is nice. Uh, starting to get more of a role, more of responsibility. Um, I thought he was going to be a little bit better, quicker. Kispert really not playing super well. Um, which he was definitely in play at the Pacers pick. It was a Duarte versus Kispert conversation for many. Um, it appears that Duarte was, in fact, the right call. So good for the Pacers because a lot of people thought they'd go Kispert. He hasn't been playing super well. Um, let's see. Nobody else has really surprised me that they've been struggling, and I don't necessarily want to call anybody out for saying it's not surprising. Um, just looking through this list here, Delano Banton has been a pleasant surprise. He's been considerably better than I anticipated uh, as well. I probably should have put him in that surprise list because he's been really good. Yeah, for, for book night, uh, you mentioned, oh, uh, for Ben, while, while we're on the subject, I mean, I, I saw this man hustling against the Pacers. It was, it was probably like two months ago, and I was really thinking, like, who is this guy? He's a second-round pick, and, and yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you're not talking about someone who maybe was – you know, expected to be producing. But as a second-round pick, that guy was definitely hustling and grinding for for the Raptors, and that kind of fits their culture over there. They got a lot of um, lengthy guys that, that are able to just kind of outwork you. So I definitely see that. Uh, Jalen Green is someone that I, I felt like, yeah, he could struggle a bit, but I, I strongly believe in Jalen Green. Uh, and Book Knight, you know, a couple nights ago, maybe it was a week ago, I know he hit six threes, but, yeah, he's come on slower. This was someone that – Book Knight's stock was really rising at one point to the point where it looked like Gold State might take him at seven. Um, so he ended up slipping, and I was surprised by that because I was very intrigued by Book Knight in the draft. So I was a bit shocked to see him slide down. Um, but other than that, I don't know if I if there's anyone that really comes to mind of like, oh, man, this guy could be a bust or anything like that because we're only – two months into the season a lot of these guys are freshmen so you want to give them the benefit of the doubt right yeah and a lot of these kids man they're coming into the league so young like um like kai jones i mean he just kind of stands out and jonathan kaminga like they were raw in a little bit in the, in the sense that physically they were ready but you know the skill set they're going to have to work and improve so it doesn't shock me that they're maybe struggling a little bit but if somebody were to give up on them that would just be absolutely foolish like they're going to be great it just is going to take them a little bit of time that's all you know it definitely will but I mean there's guys like Zaire Williams that we were talking about last year when we were you know covering some of these prospects and it was like it felt like this kid was going pro no matter what but he was he did not have the type of season at Stanford that he wanted to have and it's still just like oh well going pro no matter what and it's got to be tough for these guys because you're on the bench for a while. I mean, you're really trying to make it work. So you can go down the G League. All right. But it's it's a struggle. And one of those examples of not giving up on someone. I mentioned on the show, Anthony Simons on Portland. When he was coming out of IMG, I remember thinking, like, what is this kid thinking? Like, it looked like he was barely able to get any playing time, not really produced. Now we're talking about, I believe he's in year four now. And he looks like a really good, he looks like a really good player. And I, I, with these guys, you got to be patient because so many of these players are so raw and so young that it's like it might take three years, but you, you got to be committed and give them time. And I think Goga Bataze right now on the Pacers is 
is uh, being subjected to just that guy who's in year three, but never really being able to get those consistent minutes. They just sent him down the G League. He had 38 points. It's just like these guys need reps. So uh, I just hope that they all be able to get the playing time that they need um, because they're going pro no matter what. Yeah, they need some of these guys just need to get into a rhythm. And to get into a rhythm, you need reps. I think Gogot going down, absolutely dominating in the G League game <laughs> shows that pretty well. And it is and it's also a testament to how big of a gap there is in the G League and NBA talent. Massive. You know, it's like not to knock the G League guys because it's a whole nother level, as we see with the Ignite team. Like this, these are grown men, these are professional basketball players. But sometimes they need to go down there, get a little bit of work, get better and get their confidence back. And that's where I think I, I hope it does that for go guys that he gets that confidence back. Of like, okay, like I, I am the real deal. I can do this. I just needed a night where I could go down and show it. And that's what I think it is because essentially he's coming into a game in garbage time, two minutes to go, just like, I feel like just jacking up a three, just to get a shot up there. He might go over two. And then like the perceptions, like, man, Goga stinks. And it's just like, no, he doesn't stink, but you've been sitting on the bench for, for 38 minutes. In reality, it's it's, it's a couple hours. Um, but and then you come in there, you put up one shot, two shots, and you miss it. It's hard to get in that rhythm that you spoke about. So, you know, I, I look forward to uh, to seeing these players play out this season. I think as time goes on, you know, I'll become way more familiar with them. And this, we wanted to use this as our first introduction to our listeners on these top prospects. So, Derek, I want to thank you for your time and tell everybody – where they could find you on social media and some of the awesome coverage you have going on. Yeah. So you guys can find me at D Murray hoops, um, D M U R R A Y hoops. And then, uh, yeah, on my account, you find the next pro stuff for some of the top grassroots scouting stuff. Um, basketballnews.com is where Matt Babcock and I host all of our big board mock drafts, articles, scouting reports, and you can follow all of our stuff as well. Um, we did really well last year. Um, I feel like we were, were some of the best in the business. Um, Matt, you know, was an agent for a long time and is always on top of it with Intel. Um, and then we're able to travel and get out to as many college games as we can. So basketballnews.com slash draft up, uh, updated the big board this afternoon. So it is, uh, it is up to date and uh, we got player profiles and all that good stuff. So check it out. Check it out, everybody. Derek, I appreciate the time. And uh, I'm sure we will talk again, probably uh, maybe right around the draft. Yes, sir. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. The Rookie Report, brought to you by Pizza King. Located at 135 and Fairview Road. Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The Rookie Report. Duarte inside scores his first NBA point. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Duarte, step back three and hits his third. That's a tough three too. Now Duarte, another three. Here's a long three. Duarte, got it. All right, we are back for the Setting the Pace Rookie Report, and we will be covering two rookies. That is right, not just one. We have Chris Duarte over his last three games since last week's rookie report. Duarte averaged seven points per game, to go along with 3.6 rebounds. Unfortunately, it was on 28% shooting from the field. Not what you want. It was a rough uh, stretch for Duarte, following four straight appearances, being in double-figure scoring. 
three of which were on 50% shooting or better. His best performance on the week came against the Bucks, scoring 10 points, grabbing three rebounds, as he remained in the starting lineup despite Justin Holiday returning. That was the key thing to see over there. Would Duarte be moved to the bench? You know, still remains to, to be seen a bit. Um, but for actually, you know what? I take that back. As we're recording, it was just announced that Justin Holiday will be in the starting lineup against the Pistons. However, moving over to Isaiah Jackson. Since the last rookie report, Isaiah logged just three minutes against the Bucks. He went one of two from the field for two points and two rebounds. Look, we know this kid is way too good for the G League. Hard to find in minutes right now, but just be patient because Isaiah Jackson is going to be good for the Pacers for years to come. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for your Setting the Pace Player of the Week. Brought to you by Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. They put their heart and soul into the food and uh, I would love to eat there every day if I could. Open Thursday through Saturday at 11. Located at Camp Sertoma. Smoking Barrel Barbecue, baby. All good in this head. Smoking Barrel Barbecue. It's smoking good. Brogdon for three. Got it! Smoked up Brogdon! And Harris LaVert has an eight-point second quarter. Miles Carter. Miles to tie it. He does! Tied at 106. Warren lays it in. And the foul. And one! Here's another three. Alright, we are back, and for this week's Setting the Pace Player of the Week, we have none other than DeMontis Sabonis, a guy that was just named uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Week last week. However, over uh, the last three games since we've done this report, Sabonis averaged 23.3 points per game on 67% shooting from the field to go along with 11.6 rebounds, four assists per game, and one trade request. Now I'm just kidding on the trade request part. However, uh, his week was highlighted by a 30 point and 11 rebound performance on 12 of 17 shooting against Golden State. Yes, unfortunately it was a two point loss, but Sabonis was a stud in that game. He also had a 24 point 10 rebound and 7 assist performance on 9 of 13 shooting in a win against Dallas. So that'll be all for our Setting the Pace Player of the Week, DeMontis Sabonis. All right, everybody, we are back for the Setting the Pace Fan of the Week. We have loyal listener to the show, Elliot Beaver. Elliot, what's going on? Not much. How are you doing today, Fauci? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, I could be doing a little bit better. Um, we were just talking offline, everybody. And, you know, but the recent report that came out with Herb Simon today basically saying he's happy with the team and, you know, doesn't really, you know, trades could happen, but it's not something they're pushing. Elliot, what was your initial reaction hearing that? Uh, it was very fresh that just before I started talking to you. And uh, 
it it's it puts us in a weird spot where we were you know initially thinking that we were finally getting some sort of change and it's it's all just a big 180 from exactly what all came out and not sure what exactly to believe right now exactly i mean it's really hard to get a pulse on this team because when things are going bad it's like all right you know what we're open to making some trades it's like all right great hey let's let's allow ourselves to move on then this team wins three straight games all of a sudden they push the warriors to to the limit should have won that game and then now it's like oh, i'm happy with the team let's let's keep it the way it is it's like oh my god no we should have lost shouldn't we but Elliot, we can go on and on, but we wanted to talk about maybe a little bit of a, a happier thought, and let's talk about how you became a Pacer fan and how long you've been a Pacer fan. So the length of my Pacer fandom is pretty much the uh, majority for my entire life, but realistically, awesome. uh, my father, uh, back when I was younger, would occasionally take me to the Market Square Arena games. And then it started more when uh, Conseco first got built and he actually worked on it. So he was cool. able to get tickets to, uh, to games quite often, but uh, then it kind of transferred. Well, also watching TV as much as possible and just wonderful memories of the, you know, nineties, nineties Pacers days, Reggie Davis boys and all of them. But then uh, just real more in terms of myself, uh, just stem actually after post brawl, when the, ch- the tickets were dirt cheap and we were just able to go. Me and buddies were just like constantly wanting to go as much as possible, just for the love of the team, you know, regardless of the dark spot they were in there. Gotta love that. Exactly. I mean, look, there's, there has been some dark spots, but you know, when you mentioned when you're younger, you're just like, man, I just want to see some basketball. So it's like, you know, being able to afford cheap tickets like that. I mean, you'll always be able to look fondly on that. Even if the team was in, you know, the Dunleavy, Troy Murphy era, which Jim O'Brien era, which is always just chalked up to. So uh, luckily th- there was there was much better times ahead. But when you think of those better times, is there a specific time of you being a fan that sticks out of like, I will always look fondly upon that or this is my favorite moment as a fan? Well, I guess my favorite moment would be when I did get into the G2 zone with a buddy of mine, uh, the George Hill and Paul George uh, fan zones right there. That was uh, obviously awesome for the numerous years when they did go to the Eastern Conference Finals. But in terms of just like in terms of gameplay, favorite memories, uh, I'd say it stems either, you know, Reggie in the game seven against the Knicks or not Knicks, but Nets when they were the ace eight. Yeah, and he baked in the three, yep. made a nice layup, sent him into uh, overtime. Or, uh, ironically, the quarter that was almost perfect where everybody was just sinking every single shot, uh, Dunleavy, uh, Troy Murphy, it just ended because J- uh, Josh McRoberts decided to chuck up a three <laughs> yep. last second for no reason and sh- should have just taken the 24 second, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, there's definitely been some some great memories uh, over the years. I mean, the Reggie one, I mean, that was just unbelievable. You also got him, like, dunking on the full Nets team. I think that was, like, in double overtime. Or, it's, know, it, it's just it's just too bad that he couldn't dunk it uh, when Tayshaun Prince was coming out of I know. It's like it haunts me even seeing those highlights because it's like he has all the distance on Tayshaun. You dunk that, like – you make it, you're, go, you're getting fouled, you're going to the line, like something. But he lays, so, he lays it up, it changes the series. And, like, the, the most underrated stat is, like, that game finished, like, 69 to 66 or, like, something, like, disgusting like that in the 60s. So, uh, 
just shows how far basketball's come in that, 15 years. Definitely 90s basketball right there in a oh, nutshell. Man. Yep, yep. But, hey, th- those were definitely some of the better times. And, you know, we, we hope to uh, you know continue to string forward, um, you know, more great memories to, to come. But we're kind of stuck in the mud a little bit for right now. Now, coming into this year, what were your expectations for this team, bringing in Rick Carlisle, getting T.J. Warren back, Karis LeVert healthy with the team? I mean, what were you thinking? So my thought process with this team has been that I've actually been as high as with, with the full healthy roster, Warren included. I've, I've said that they could finish anywhere from falling entirely out of the playoffs, depending, you know, but that wasn't my expectation right where they're at. Uh, but I said they could finish as high as like a third seed behind Milwaukee and the Nets. Obviously, you know, that's not where I exactly I thought more in the range of like five, six is probably realistically with everybody. But the whole Warren saga and then like Karis just like I starting with the back problems and then, you know, just everything starting out all wonky. It's just like causes so many problems right there. And I don't know if like having multiple coaches every single year is hurting them so much with that, but it's just like, there was such variance with how this team could be with the whole Eastern conference set up as it is right now. It really is. I mean, I, I honestly, I thought the Pacers could be like a six seed. I knew Warren would miss like 20 games. That was, I guess, thinking on the more positive side, because we're still waiting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you look at this team, you know, guys like Levert have had, you know, like three or four coaches in the last few years going from, you know, the, there was two coaches in the nets and then, uh, you know, he comes over here, he's got Yorker in, you know, now he's got, um, you know, Rick Carlisle. And then it's just like the same thing with Brogdon. Brogdon's had a few coaches. And then obviously anyone who's been here for the while, I mean, the Pacers had three coaches in the last calendar year between McMillan, Bjorkren, and now Rick Carlisle. So there's been a lot of change, but yeah, I mean, I was much higher on, on where the team should have been, but rightfully so. I mean, on paper, this should be a good team. The fact is, it's just a team with names written on paper because they're not playing together. So, uh, but when you mentioned Levert, wonky, I thought it's a good description because it feels like something's going on there. I, I know a back injury could be very brutal, but I've heard rumblings that they tried to get an extension done. They couldn't get it done. Now you start to wonder, you know, is Levert really in the future plans or not? That leads us to some of the trade talk that, that we heard recently where it sounded like either Sabonis or Turner or, you know, or and Levert could be on the move. Realistically, who do you see actually being traded if someone is traded? Well, first, I do want to ask in terms of the Levert thing, do you think that him, I know it was reported, do you think that him being kind of pushed back early last year after the whole uh uh, cancerous, uh, uh, cancerous, uh, finding, uh, do you think that had anything to do with any sort of negativity towards the franchise, even if it was Bjorkren at that time, do you think that might have any sort of stemming to his thought process right now? It could, but at the same point, it's been a while. I heard the interview that he gave, I believe it was on JJ Reddick's podcast, and it, it felt like his comments were directed at Bjorkren, basically like Bjorkren just wanted to just throw him in there for like 20 plus minutes right away when he was not ready. So I could see that being more of like directed towards Bjorkren, but at the same point, I mean, the, those orders could have easily came from above. So 
it's definitely possible. But at the same point, you know, the back injury, it sounded like Levert knew he had a back problem. I hated how it wasn't addressed until like right before preseason was going to start. So I felt like that's like the, yeah, much like TJ Warren, you know, just all of a sudden out of nowhere, uh, he's going to be out for a little bit of time that, that just came out of nowhere right before the season started too, you know, Ter- terrible timing. I mean, even last year, like Warren, I mean, the, the foot injury, he only plays four games last year. Okay. Like they shut it down early, but like it lingered on and on and on. Like you wonder if maybe they could have got him surgery early on. Maybe he's good for the start of this season, but now like everybody has every right to be worried because you know, we're, we're entering looks like January over here before he's come back. Pace team might not even still be there by then if they make a move. And in terms of Warren, like just how he does really mean a lot to this team, the way it's built. It's just sad that we can't really get to see that. And obviously that's what the owners are, or Herb's trying to get, get out of the still deal. But in terms of your question, in terms of who, who's getting traded, uh, Lamb, Lamb's got to oh, at yeah, some point I mean. in time, you would, you would figure. And then uh, I, I kind of th- wonder how much Justin Holiday does play a part going forward. It's, it wasn't a Rick Carlisle signing, you know, yep. and also TJ McConnell. I've also thought I heard that he wasn't really in the plans, but in terms of the starters, it, it's going to be, it sounds like Karras is pretty much out the door. Well, uh, depending on who you're listening to. And then we all know that inevitably want to bonus one of the two it's it's got to happen it's needed to for quite some time now yeah like yes they they have played better this year they're, they're on court rating together is the best that it's been but look where we are i mean if, it, if it's as best as it's been and we're in the 13th spot in the east clearly it's not working enough so you know i think you got to make some change over here and you know we will keep our eyes on that and we're hearing mixed reports what feels like every other day so clearly they're getting to that point right now where people are starting to speak to the media things are getting out and that's usually typically not a great sign of a team going in the right direction but um you know before we wrap up over here um you know elliot i just want to say i definitely appreciate you always being a supporter of us that's why you're one of the people that i wanted to have on this show right when we thought of this idea um is there a certain like segment or interview or anything that we've done in the past that kind of sticks out to you as like hey you know i really enjoyed that episode uh, uh, I can't seem to remember the top of my head. Uh, the last Indy Star reporter, uh, Michael, uh, or uh, uh I don't know. Uh, no, not James. Well, I enjoyed J- the James segment as well, but I was talking about the previous one before him. Oh, Jay Michael. Uh, yeah, Jay Michael. Yeah, I yeah. really enjoyed when you guys had him on, kind of after the draft. Actually, after he left, and kind of got a bunch of nuggets uh involved actually uh one of my favorite things ever uh real quick was uh when i first actually interacted with uh alex on uh on twitter it was over me absolutely despising this take on malcolm brogdon being a good fit here i uh yeah i really thought it was awful that i watched (laughs) him actually play for us and i had to retract my statement and say you were completely right about him alex and i completely sorry forever doubting you man and that's been you know even a little before that but since that point that i've just enjoyed listening to you guys you're you're a regular uh for my work days at least usually hey we we appreciate that and uh, it always takes a lot to admit when someone's wrong or not but hey we we love the passionate fans so 
anyone who's willing to really care that much, like that's what it's all about. So, you know, we'll always be here to, you know, hear you out, debate, whatever it is. We love the passionate fans win or lose. So thank you very much for the time, Elliot. And uh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. I'll just, uh, uh, on Twitter at Elliot Beaver, uh, and yeah, on Facebook, whatever. So awesome. Yeah. Well, Elliot, thanks. Thanks a lot for the time. And, uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. All right, everybody, we are back. I want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, Derek Murray, special shout out to you. Appreciate you covering some of uh, this year's prospects to be looking forward to. I hate to turn the page on already looking for the uh, towards the draft. However, guys, things ain't looking good, and I want to be able to have a glass half full approach. And maybe that's, hey, we're heading towards our uh, first single-digit pick in over 30 years. We'll find out, but you know what? This has been a wild week of Pacer news. None of it's been positive, but you know, you try and find uh, the positivity in there somewhere, and it's just that, look, if we're stacking up losses, then you know what? We're getting closer to getting a stud. However, I don't know which direction this Pacer team's going to go in. It looks like they're continuing to push forward left and right. We're playing the Pistons tonight. When we're listening to this, we will have already played that game. So maybe, maybe you got a little pep in your step when uh, you know, when we beat them. If we lose, try not to take it too hard because I'm still taking these losses hard, man. I'm trying not to. So, uh, guys, you can find us on social media on Twitter, at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter, at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter, at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram, at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook. At setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. And guys, if you are tired of rebuilding on the go or being a tough out, then give me these three words. Let's go pace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.